0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Prentice. And, and so this morning we continue our series called Portraits. Uh, and, and reframing and re-presenting what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and perhaps clarifying some false notions or caricatures of Christianity. And this morning we talk about the relationship between our faith as Christians, and and suffering. And as we were praying this morning, I was praying with the team here that uh, we may not know everyone's story here in this room. But we do know uh, that with so many of you here that uh, there are many stories filled with hurt and suffering, trauma. And so this morning we... Kind of engage in that, and we tackle it, and, and, and we name it, because there's been this caricature of Christian faith when it comes to, to, to faith and, and suffering, that if you have more faith, then you will suffer less. It's this weird, magical uh, equation that Christians have, have pondered, uh, perhaps as a, as a coping mechanism, or as some kind of false understanding of God where there's this understanding where it says, the more faith that you have, the less suffering that you will do. And if that's the case, the opposite is also true, that less faith equals more suffering. And so many Christians have been hurt by this misunderstanding of faith. Whenever you see... Uh, Or hear stories uh, of natural disasters, maybe on the news, or or big tragedies uh, around the world. It's just a matter of time before Christian leaders, Christian leaders, uh, will will go public with with why that is, and it's oftentimes about some uh, moral failure, uh, or less faith, or little faith that resulted into that kind of punishment or vindictiveness of God. Uh, And so my hope this morning is that we reframe our understanding of suffering and and in our Christian faith. Again, this isn't about, and I'll say this right now, this isn't about why evil and suffering exists. That's an entirely different sermon, And, and if I ever had to do that, which I'm sure we will at some point, it'd be a short one, because at the end of the sermon, I would say, I don't know. But again, this morning is about this false notion amongst Christians that there is this simple and clean equation when it comes to suffering. We figured it out, and it's just this mathematical equation. More faith, less suffering. Less faith equals more suffering. And of course, many of us, we wouldn't actually say this out loud, and, and maybe some of you are saying, well, I don't actually believe that or, or, or wouldn't say that out loud. But it's so common and so often that we, as followers of Jesus, we view the Christian faith with a a, a karmic understanding, with this karma understanding. That I do good, then good things happen. I do bad, then bad things happen. And, and, And thus, you have the answer to your story as to the why. Rather than embracing the grace, the mystery, the full surrender, rather than understanding and embracing the idea that we just don't know, we don't have the answers, we don't have, and we hate saying this part, we don't have control. And so it's no wonder that people outside the Christian community are are often turned off by this vindictive, angry, and vengeful, and egotistical God. If So often, our message as far as if Jesus uh, follows this equation and we tell people about this God and this equation, are we actually surprised that people want nothing to do, again, with this vindictive, angry, vengeful, and egotistical God? I hope none of us would be surprised by that. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's no wonder that even within, even within our own Christian community— In the church, the the, the big C, the universal church, there is a massive, massive lack of vulnerability. And so hence I asked us to step it up a little bit this morning of the vulnerability scale because we are so terrible at being vulnerable with one another because to be vulnerable is to be seen, is to show our struggles, our sufferings, our traumas, our pains, our heartaches, our loss, our grief. And if we're following this equation of faith, then, then clearly we, we come to this understanding that possessing these vulnerabilities and sufferings and trauma and heartache equates to a lesser faith in God. And why would we want to confess a lesser faith in God? And so we end up in isolation, We end up really lonely. You may have all the friends in the world. You may be the most well known, well liked, well loved, most popular person at church, whatever that means to be at a church and be that, and yet still be lonely and even live in this state of constant darkness. And in your life, life and in your life, light of any hope gets dimmer. And dimmer. Last week, I was looking around my house, and for those of you that know me, know that I am the most non-handy person in the world. Uh, and uh, Maria, my wife, and I, we were saying, you know, we need, we need an outlet here. Like We need a, an electrical outlet for us to you know, plug stuff into in this wall. It's a house built in the 40s. There's a lot of random stuff that's there and a random stuff that's missing. And so I did what everyone else does when they want to fix something. They go on YouTube. And so I go on YouTube, how to put in an electrical outlet. And let me just tell you this. Just because you see it on YouTube doesn't mean you should even attempt it. Uh, but I did. I looked it up, and the first thing was like, to go under the house and kind of scope things out, uh, and, and to be honest, shamefully to say, I had never been under my house before, um, and so I went into the crawl space. I had to find where the crawl space was, and I'll be like, I had no idea what I was doing down there. Uh, YouTube told me to do it, so I did it, uh, and, and I think I did it. And I just—I remember hanging out under the house, killing time, because I'm like, I gotta pretend that I'm doing something down here, <laughs> like I have to, like impress my wife by saying I'm gonna be—I'm so handy. Uh, and of course, I didn't know what I was doing. But lo and behold, at the corner of my eye, I found this massive leak that was just coming down into the dirt uh, under the house. Uh, and, and I kind of panicked because I had no idea what to do with that. I see it, I don't know what to do with it. And, and again, uh, I do uh, what most people do, especially around here: is not just go on YouTube, but I call Nick Maddox, who is the drummer of the church. Uh, and him and I called Ryan, some other people, and they gave some fantastic advice. Uh, some different advice, because there was some wires down there. Some of them were like, get out of there. Some of them were like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. So then I end up calling uh, another guy from our church, Josh, and he uh, was so gracious enough to, to come over. Uh, and, you know, he went under the house. He actually knew what he was doing. Uh, I was under there with him, like, cool, I, I'm here for you. I had a flashlight. I don't remember if that flashlight was doing anything. And, and he started diagnosing some things, and he figured out Exactly where the leak was coming from. So okay, we we go on top. You know, we go to the main floor, and suddenly he gets a hammer and these tools, and he's just going to he's ripping out a piece of this wall, and I'm like, oh wow, okay. So all I see is dollar bills, right? All I see is dollar bills. It's ripping open this wall, and and we happened. I mean, it wasn't as bad as it, it could have been, but we found where the puncture was in the pipe. Uh, and, and he was able to, to fix it, and, and it was awesome just watching him, and, you know, because I didn't want to leave him to do all the work by himself, but I didn't know what I was doing, so I'm just sitting back here, and I'm like, oh, great, awesome, he was teach me on the way, it, it, it was awesome, and, and so if you guys ever have a leak in your house, call me, I probably know what to do now, and so uh, I'll do that to pay it forward, uh, but he was ripping open this wall, and there was like mold now, and, and again, all I see is more dollar bills, and And I see, like, dirt, and I see, you know, just uh, wood just rotting out. And I'll say this. We look at it, and that's probably been happening ever since I moved in, at the very least. That's probably been happening for about two to three years, and I had no idea that was happening behind the walls of my own house. And now we, uh, since Maria moved in, we've done a good job last year. So, like decorating the house, getting getting new furniture and and curtains and, and all these things. And I discovered something that some people have pillows on their bed that you don't actually use. I I didn't know that. That was a very foreign concept for me. And so she bought all these nice pillows, and it was awesome. Everything looks great. And then, you know, we're going to sleep, and she puts the pillows, like, off to the side. (laughs) Like, we got another chair, and I was like, I'm probably never going to sit there. And she's like, that's not what it's for. I'm like, okay, the chair's not to be sat on, so what is the chair for? To put these pillows on (laughs) when we don't use it. And I'm like, we just bought pillows and we don't use it. It's for looks. It's decorative pillows, okay? Honestly, I've never heard of that before. The pillows that I use, I put under my head when I sleep. Uh, and, and so all that to say, we've done all these wonderful, and I'm so thankful. Like the house looks amazing right now, and, and it's so decorative. It's got decorative pillows. It's got chairs just for the decorative pillows. It's got blinds. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's got blinds. It's always had blinds. It's got like fabric cloth or curtains on the side of it, so it looks great. I remember my friend came over, I visited California, and he'd seen my house before that. You know, it wasn't bad, but it was like a little bachelor-ish. And he was like, man, friend, it's your life. You got a a, a massive upgrade in life. And I said, yes, I agree. But I I look at the story, I'm like, everything on the outside, even though inside the house, everything looked so great, all the decorations, I'm thankful for it. it. It looks beautiful, and yet the entire time, there was a leak Inside of my house, under the in the walls, under the house, where my house part of my house is literally rotting away, and I look at that as such a massive illustration of our own lives when we look at this equation of more faith equals less suffering, less faith, more suffering. Then obviously, as followers of Christ, when we are suffering, we don't want to be seen with less faith, faith, so we hide it. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want to pretend it doesn't exist. We want to pretend we don't see it. Or worse off, we don't want to do our own internal work. We don't want to do our own investigating. And so we just let it be. And so everything in our life, our social media, when people say, how are you? You say, great. How are you doing? Great. I think the worst thing we ever say about our, li- our own lives, when people ask you how you're doing, you say, it's been good, but, and then, you know, insert a very vulnerable thing. But what always comes out is, It's busy. You ever say that? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. But it's busy. Oh, life's busy. Oftentimes that is the most vulnerable thing we'll ever acknowledge or say to others. On social media, we post all the fun things, the highlight reel of our lives. And yet, deep down inside, just like my house, there's a piece of us that's just rotting Away, And again, I don't know what your story is or know what you bring here, but I would bet that there's some of you, myself included, we're going through this right now. Going through this right now. We're putting on the good acts or we're putting on the throw pillows. We, we have all these nice decorations, but deep down inside, there's darkness, there's pain, there's anguish, there's despair. So what I want to start with is in Genesis, how God intended it to be, how God created us. In Genesis chapter 2, 25, we see a perfectly ordered world. Genesis 1 and 2 is a perfectly ordered world where there is no pain. There is no heartache. There is no brokenness. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be, the way that God intended it to be. In Genesis 2:25, it says, uh, it says, "Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt no shame. See, this was not just a statement about their physical being, their state of being with having no clothes. But it was a theological declaration of God's work and God's intention. See, this was more than just about the fact that they were in the nude, that they had no clothes, but it was a statement about human connection with one another, that in their connection, that they were fully naked, yes, physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually, they were completely naked and with no shame no fear of judgment, no fear of gossip, no fear of rejection, no fear of criticism. They were created to be naked inside and out, and they felt no shame with one another. That was the declaration that God was making when he created Adam and Eve and said they were naked, and they both felt no shame. And so when we talk about this idea of creation, God creating, God uses different terminology, uh, in different ways for the word good. So the Hebrew word for good is tov, T-O-V, or at least that's the transliteration. And so when God created creation, the animals, the waters, the seas, the skies, uh, after God creates, God says, and it was good. God created the oceans, the waters, it was good. God created the animals, the sea creatures, it was good. And God created Adam, humanity, Ha Adam, Adam the, the man, and it was good. And, and then as God is doing some inventory, some surveying, notice that Ha Adam, Adam uh, the first person, the first man, was alone. And so for the, for the very first time, the word Lotov was introduced. And it's the very opposite of good. Not just not good. Like it's okay, but it's not not just like this flippant like not good. If good means everything that God created to be beautiful and perfect, uh, in full intimacy, in full connection, with no shame, no barrier, no fears, then low tov is the very opposite of that. It's not just oh not good. It's like the very opposite of tov: fear, rejection, criticism, gossip. Pain, anguish. And so when God looked down and God created creation, everything was good, made Adam was good. And then when Adam was alone, that was not good. For the very first time, God refers to creation as not good when Adam was alone. And then we see this third way that God uses the word tov is miyad tov. Again, now, very the opposite of that. Now, with uh, Eve in the picture and Adam and Eve together, now there's full connection, there's companionship. That even though the beasts and the animals and the sea creatures, the, it was good, it was good for Adam, the first person, God was saying, I have something better in mind. And that's something better is full intimacy and, com- and companionship and togetherness and community with Eve. And now, again, for the very first time, God uses miotov, fullness, abundance, a perfect connection. It's better than just good, it's very good, it's abundantly good. And so you see all throughout these feelings, I would say, feelings that God had uh, during creation, that God created us in God's own image. so therefore we also are not in this static place with our emotions. We are wired to feel, just like God felt. There was a moment in time where God created us, "This is good." And there was a moment in time where God created and says, "This is not good. Pain, anguish, and then God says, "That was very good." Excitement, full abundance. You can almost see that God, in His, in God's own creation, that's God made and created, God's going through all these emotions and all these feelings of what is good now it's not good now it's not just not good but it's it's really not good and now it's really good it's better than how it originally started you can see that god is, is a god of emotions and therefore if we are created in god's own image we are also created to have emotions and to feel just like adam and eve they were created to feel the intimacy the companionship to feel the love of one another to give love to one another, to feel emotions towards one another. And so it's funny because whenever I hear people accuse another person of saying, you're too emotional, I always respond with, yes, I am, or that person is. Because healthy individuals have emotions. That is a part of our own humanity. So God is a God of feelings and emotions And we see it right from the beginning of creation. And again, if we are created in God's own own image, then we too should emulate that. We too should have that. Life is not static. Our emotions, our faith, all in one is not static. But we are wired to feel. Now the downside of that is that we also feel suffering in our lives. See, a chapter later, we see that through sin and those disobedience, through our own human will and human agency, the world becomes no longer the way God intended. Uh, in one of C.S. Lewis's books, C.S. Lewis says, we got exactly what we wanted when sin entered into the world. And through Adam and Eve's disobedience of eating of, of the fruit that God Told them, there's one thing I don't want you to do. Just don't eat the fruit, and that's it. We know from previous weeks that's about idolatry, not just eating of this fruit. And whenever we put God outside of God's place and we put ourselves in where God is supposed to be, we see a disruption. We see a disruption in our lives and our relationships. Things get messy. And again, if we look at the story of Adam and Eve, there's a re- which is a representation of all human beings after their disobedience, it says this, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, at one point where there was no fear, there was no covering, there was no shame, now there is, now there is shame, there is fear, there is judgment, there is rejection, there is blame we see, there is criticism we see. And there's so much of that they felt the need to cover up, to cover up. That was very blatant that the writer of Genesis would say that they made coverings and they covered up. It's a, it's a complete juxtapose of they were naked and felt no shame. Now suddenly they were covered Are there areas in your life that you feel like you are suffering, suffocating, hurting, angry, hopeless, even shameful? And the only thing you know how to do, because we've been conditioned to do so, is to hide. This is not anything new for us today. It's been happening from the ancient of times that our human condition says that any time there's suffocating, suffering, hurting, angry, hopelessness, shamefulness... We cover up and hide, not only from from others, but oftentimes even from ourselves. Disillusionment, blindsidedness of our own being. But in these cases, I want us to remember this. We live again, we live in a broken world. And because of that broken world, we will encounter trials. And these trials oftentimes are because of our own choices. It could be. It could be self-inflicted. It could be choices because uh, choices of others, inflicted by others. It could be the cards that, that we were dealt, which I don't know what the answer to that is. It could be spiritual warfare. I mean, there could be a list of the reasons why, why, why. But the important thing to know is that nowhere in Scripture, nowhere does it point to the immunity of suffering once we believe in God. Nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does suffering escape even the most devout followers of God. And so if we go back to this false caricature that says more faith, less suffering, less faith, more suffering, then we have to conclude that people like Abraham, the Apostle Paul, Moses, Jesus himself, had no faith. Clearly, that's not true. There are men and women all over the Bible that exemplify tremendous faith and experience tremendous suffering. I mean, literally, literally every character personified as heroic has been through a season of desert in the Bible, including Jesus. And it could be a physical desert that, that they went through, but it also is this metaphorical desert that we all know what it feels like to be thirsty to be desperate, to have no hope, because all you see is vastness. And so I to say this, when it comes to your work, your relationships, or maybe for some of us we're in this pain or suffering because there's a lack of or a brokenness of a relationship, family struggles, your financial hardships, maybe you're in a season of loss, because you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's in your mental health. Maybe it's an addiction. And it may feel like you need to cover up the pain that lives inside, but I plead to you, I beg to you to be reminded, to be reminded that we were created with people with emotions and feelings just like God was and God is. That it's okay to feel. We've heard this before, and I want to say it again. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to feel grief. It's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel. We were created to feel Like God felt when God created the earth and the universe and the people and everything in it. Jesus felt on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, where are you, God? We were created to feel, but we were never created to hide. We were never created to hide. So, in a culture where suffering, pain, failure, hurt, anger, sadness is seen as such a deficit, please don't let that be a reason to cover up. You see, darkness is the ingredient shame needs to grow. Don't let it grow. So, instead of hiding and being in the darkness, name your pain, your hurt, your loss, bring it to light. Give yourself permission and grace because God does the same for you. God loves, God forgives, God never abandons. God is with you. God is with you. And so God created us to have full intimacy, to have full connection, to not have brokenness or suffering, and yet suffering entered the world, and therefore we enter it with it. But even in the midst of that, may you remember that God is with us. God created us. Suffering is a part of us. But even in the midst of that, God is with us. You see, it'd be a sad and hopeless story if it just ended with the brokenness parts. But may we have hope and may a heart be transformed because a resurrected Christ is with you. And, then, and Jesus wants nothing more. And I say this with full belief and full experience because I've experienced this myself. Jesus wants nothing more than to be invited to walk alongside you and whatever that you might be going through. This is the story of the incarnation. This is the story of why Jesus came to earth. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about John 1, verse 14. It says, the word Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved in to your neighborhood. Jesus moved into your life. Jesus moved in, didn't pull you out. Notice that Jesus didn't pull you out of whatever circumstances that you're going through. Instead, Jesus moves in. Because that's what a relationship is about. This idea of with. See, God moved in. God doesn't just pull you out. God doesn't just immediately change your circumstances because God desires to be in relationship with you, not be a magical genie for you. And sometimes we mess that up and we see God not as someone to be in relationship with, but a magical genie to be. God moves into your mess, into your pain, into your loss, into your grief, and for some sacred and divine way, that seems to change everything. There's this mystery when it comes to the idea of with. I mean, have you ever been through a hard time and you call your friends or you invite them over and it's something about their very presence that becomes medicine for your soul? There's nothing magical that was said, There's no answers that were told. There were probably even no solutions, but yet the presence of with became the source of comfort. It's interesting how Jesus becomes present in our lives. We see it in John 11, one of my favorite stories, one of my absolute favorite stories. Of these two sisters, between Mary and Martha, whose brother is sick and eventually died. His name is Lazarus. And it says this On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. So now, Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, you have to come. My brother Lazarus is sick, but you can heal him. We're going through this dark, suffering time because our brother is about to die. Will you come and heal? Because we know that you can do that. Uh, And and what it says is that Jesus says, yes, but then Jesus waits, waits. And then finally, it's very intentional that the Bible says, but Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. See, what you have to understand about Jewish culture is that after the third day of death, the spirit, they believe, has completely left the body. And so after three days, there's absolutely zero hope. The person is dead. The spirit is gone. After three days, there's no hope of life. It is a lost cause. And so Jesus waits till the third day is over, comes on the fourth day, when you can imagine the hopelessness that Mary and Martha felt. And then verse 18 says, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to uh, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother, because they knew that after three days, it's game over. It's over. He is dead. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I bet Mary was a little upset. And Martha Martha said to Jesus, "If you had been here, my brother would have not died." See, they called Jesus to come and help, to heal, to make the situation better. But yet he waits four days. So clearly, Jesus was up to something. And the point is, he finally arrived when all hope was gone and i feel like mary and martha's reactions are so normal so human i i love that they point that out jesus where were you you are late in our suffering in our pain in our in our trials have you ever said god where the heck were you god where are you maybe some of you are sitting in these seats right now and you're saying god where are you god you are late and I love what Jesus says and does. When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here again, now it's her turn, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. And Jesus felt and was with them in their lament and their grief and their loss. And I love this part. Where have you laid him, Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. One verse, it says, Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. One of the shortest Bible verses in the entire canon says, Jesus well, ironically, it's not the shortest verse. A verse that is shorter in Greek uh, is the verse, rejoice always. So in this meeting, there's a transformation that occurs. That when Jesus comes in, all hopelessness, remember, on the fourth day, when all life was gone, all hope was gone, Jesus shows up, and instead of Jesus fixing uh, the problem, I mean, yes, Jesus does, at the end of the story, brings life into death, but before that, Jesus doesn't interrupt that process of lament and grief, and yet Jesus, what Jesus does was enter into it, Jesus felt what they felt, and Jesus... Wept. And inside of that withness, that togetherness, transformation occurs. It seems as if, and I hate this part, I really do, but I believe this is true, that it seems as if it's in these precise moments of darkness, of hopelessness, hopelessness and desperation of whatever you're going through becomes the very place that God does God's best work. And sometimes, not to limit God, it seems like it's the only place that God does God's best work in our lives that we may be transformed and pushed to be in a better image of God. God meets you in ways that you have never been met before. And dare I say, God meets you in these moments in ways that would have, you or me or any of us would ever experience if it wasn't for these events of suffering, trauma, pain, or sorrow, or whatever it was. And at the end of the day, you may not say this now, but because God works in those moments, precisely in those moments, suddenly it becomes a gift. fascinating then, or not surprising, that whenever you ask somebody, how did you become a Christian? How did you get your faith back? Or, or yes, like you ran away from faith, but what brought you back? What is that? And more often than not, at least my job as a pastor, when I listen to people's stories, it's oftentimes birthed from a story of pain. It really is. And what if in this season, right now, in this season, instead of running, instead of covering, instead of hiding, God is saying, Stay right where you're at. I have something for you. You see, to stay where you're at, not to run and not to cover and not to hide, but to stay where you're at is to lament. To lament. And what lament is, it's while you're staying, lament is to ask God, God, what do you have for me? See in John fifteen or John eleven, fifteen says Jesus tells the sisters, For your sake, for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. In other words, I'm glad you were uh, that I wasn't there and that you entered into this fourth day of desperation, of hopelessness, of life being fully gone, that you were in this desperate and broken place because it's in those precise places that you're in, again, where God says, I do my best work. And it's there when you let go of your control, of your need to know the end of the story, when healing, true healing, can begin. But in this hypermobile culture, where social media tells us what we need to do next, where we're always chasing after the next best thing, when pain is considered less faith, so we ignore it, we hide, we cover, we run away from it, what if the answer is stay? Stay. And lament. And lament is just a fancy way of saying, God, what do you have for me here? One of my favorite authors, and and this book pretty much changed my life in one of the hardest times of my life. It's called The Wisdom of Stability by Jonathan Hartgrove. And in one line he says, to climb ever so closer to God is not to move away from our troubles and troubling neighbors, but to move closer to them. To climb ever closer, so closer to God is not to move away from our troubles or the people that trouble us, but to move ever closer to God is to move closer to them. God, what do you have for me here? You see, pain and suffering, as we see even in this video that we saw, is part of the story. Brokenness is part of our story. Suffering is part of our story. But it's never the end of it. God is working, God is using your story that God may be glorified within you. And God is frugal. Nothing goes to waste, nothing is in vain and nothing is thrown away. Please believe in that. That there's something happening even if we don't know. And so, I want to do this exercise with you as I invite the band forward. It's actually in this portrait devotional. If you have it with you for whatever reason, you're welcome to, to turn to it, but I just want us to move into this, this place of response. And it's going to be a little bit of a contemplative exercise. We're going to have some music just to kind of calm our souls. And I just want you to close your eyes as I read Psalm 23, the whole chapter. It's only a few verses. And then I'm going to guide us through some some Practices. And so will you join me right now and just close your eyes as I read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now as you have your eyes closed, imagine, straight from this book, okay, I, I would love for you to go back to it if you can later this week. Now close your eyes and imagine that you're in the midst of this green pasture. Take a look around. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you feel? Is the grass, is it soft? Or maybe it's rougher under your feet. What's the weather like? What is it like for you to be in this pasture? Does it feel restful? Feel stressful? Do you want to be here? or is there a long list of things you should be doing? However you show up know that you are welcomed. Now in this pasture imagine the Lord approaches taking you on a tour of the neighboring streams around this pasture. maybe maybe, maybe you dip your, your your toes in the water. Is the water cool or is it warm? Now the road turns towards a dark valley. But imagine, Jesus is is so close by. Jesus is close by. What is it like to have Jesus? What is it like to have him near, so near, as you walk into this ominous valley? The valley eventually opens up and you arrive at a feast. Pay attention to what's on the table. What smells are coming your way? Who is at the table with you? What does it feel like to arrive at this lavish meal that is just for you? And imagine, lastly, Jesus approaches you and anoints you. Yes, you and refills your cup till it spills over? Your cup that you hold in front. What is your response to him? Perhaps you feel humble or grateful or joyful or deeply loved. and in moments of fear and sorrow. God, we come before you. We sing to you. We praise you. We thank you for the joys and the sorrows of our lives and for those of us that are going through the sorrows portion of our lives. That would you just be with them? And will the notion that you are with them, with me, with us, may that change everything and with May we ask, what do you have for us? How will we be transformed through this? Because nothing, nothing, nothing goes to waste. Give us strength and perseverance to not stop at the middle of the story, but to arrive at the cross and the resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's continue. Continue in worship.